Lauren has split. We've just wrapped the show. He had to get to his uh, gig. He's singing some holiday uh, concerts today. So it's just me and Tim Eshelman, our guest. I've had a great time meeting you, Tim. Thanks for coming down here early in the morning. I know it's not musician hours, but uh, sure do appreciate it. It's been a fun time. Oh, it's fun. It's fun to, to get up and get some fresh air in the morning. There you go. <laughs> so before we get to the show and hearing your story, I would just like to invite everybody to come down to Judd's Hill. That's my family's winery located at the south end of Silver Trail here in the beautiful Napa Valley among the verdant vines. We've got our fine wines. It's not far at all. Just up the road. Visiting information if you want to find us is at judshill.com and while you're online you can take a look at our website. We've got our funny videos. We have our events page with things happening and of course we've got wine and as Lauren is fond of saying if you put some wine in your shopping cart type in coupon code JNVS in lowercase letters. You're going to get 15% off your entire wine order. And if you want a better deal than that, you can join our Judd's Hill Wine Club, day or night. It's the best. We guarantee good times with fine wines. You get, all, you get to try all of our uh, small lot of crafted wines that are absolutely delicious. I'm not biased at all. You can look at the awards and write-ups and see why we are and have been for some time rated the number one thing to do in Napa Valley is a visit to Judd's Hill. So come have a little fun with us. Try our delicious wine. You know, while you're online, take a look at timeshelman.com <laughs> to find out about our guest and all of his musical uh, adventures. And that's T-I-M. I'm going to have you spell it for me. It's T-I-M-E-S-C-H-L-I-M-A-N.com. You can follow along at home, uh, see what he's up to. And I think you're really going to enjoy today's show. And uh, Tim, here we go. All right. Thank Five, you, six, seven, eight. It's not what's under the Christmas tree that matters. It's who's around it. Charlie Brown. And now, live from Wine Down Media Studios at South Napa Century Center, it's Judd's Napa Valley Show. Get ready for another heap of fascinating things to know From witty and intriguing people on Judd's Napa Valley Show No stale script and no rehearsing, live from a Napa studio You may be that intriguing person on Judd's Napa Valley Show Pardon me I'll have a Chardonnay, a marvelous date, it's hard to say. I know we never talk about the Sauvignon Blanc. It's a must-have on the podcast. It's Judd's Napa Valley Show. You can't ease this flow if I elaborate over a Cabernet. My buddy's the truth. You should study my man Juddy and learn something new. Good morning, Mr. Lauren Mole. Hey, good morning, Judge. So nice to be here. You look sharp, my man. Wow, I know you, you have been wanting to have a webcam in here well, since that's what the day. We're going to get next year. Well, for six and a half years, as long as we've been doing this show, you wanted a webcam, and today would definitely be the day. You are. Let me see if I can even give this. Can you stand up for a moment? Let's objectify you here. Come into my. Come around the table. There we go. Okay. So I'm going to go. I'm going to work my way up. You are wearing some sharp. Um, Black, nice, shiny, uh, black, uh, lo not not lo loafers. These are like, uh, what do you call that style of shoe? But that, that, it's a good one. They're laced up. They look good. You've got some nice fitted black slacks, dress slacks. Then here we go, folks. 
We are in full holiday mood. We have a scarlet red vest. Peeking through the top is a red necktie tied neatly in a, is that a half Windsor knot? With uh, Frosty the Snowman all over it. uh, With a a handsome white collared button-down shirt. All topped off here with a red crushed velvet kind of velour feeling uh, jacket, man. You are in full holiday mode. Looking good. And of course, your hair quaffed precisely, delightfully. You look like the spirit of Christmas present. I do. That's because I'll be singing with Napa Valley Voices today. Um, First over at Calabria, which is one of our advertisers, and then later at the Elks Club down here on Soskull. Oh, today is the day. Today's the day. Okay, so here comes the question I ask you every time. Can the general public come see this, or are these private gigs? These are private oh gigs! Oh my gosh, you tease us so, sir. Okay, well, you look sharp. We'll have to snap a photo and get it up on someone's website. Well, good luck, or break a leg. I'm not sure what you say to a, to a vocalist. Doesn't maybe, matter. Maybe our guest, he hasn't been introduced yet, but is there something, you yourself are a vocalist, is there something you say to somebody before singing? I know, break a leg for an actor, <coughs> mared for a ballet dancer. What do you Mared? say? Really? Mared, uh, oh. it's it's French for, for yeah, I know what it yeah. means. Interesting, but, and there's a whole story behind that. But well, uh, well I guess we're not going to get into that. Although yeah. I'm dying to hear it. <laughs> oh, I can tell later. But uh, how about a vocalist? Do you say something? Break a you strain you a vocal say, cord. Uh, I just say knock him dead. Knock him dead. All right, knock him dead, Lauren. I'll take that. Okay, cool. Anything else going on? Yeah. Well, I have to say, Judd, Operation with Love from Home was an absolute success uh, this December. You anticipated my next question. I wanted to hear about that. but uh, We put together 1,300 care packages for our troops. Wow. Wow. Wonderful. And it was also bittersweet because, <clears throat> excuse me, this was the last appearance of our founders, Ben and Lisa Huntley, because... Their son had just retired from the Marines and is now living in South Carolina, and so they're going to move there to be closer to him. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm glad to hear that they will be close to their son, and I'm sure that the tradition of uh, putting these packages together will continue on. And indeed it will, yeah, according to Liz Alessio. Well, she's the one to do it. That's great. Congrats. Thanks for doing that. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm really looking forward to the next event. Good. And so... Uh, so what's been going on with you, Judd? How's your Hanukkah Hootenanny? You know, the Hanukkah Hootenanny was a great success. We had a good time. Meshuggah Beach Party was uh, on, doing their thing, and people love that band. Uh, a, a great the, the rain stopped. We had that gorgeous double rainbow outside. And we raised quite a bit for Community Health Initiative Napa County, which is a wonderful organization that ensures all of our local Napa County residents have access to health insurance and health care. And if you'd like to find out more about them, maybe uh, drop a little something in their coffers for the holidays. NapaCHI.org is their website. And that stands for Napa Community Health Initiative. Also, we've got our cruise coming up this summer. It's chilly now, but let's think about wonderful, warm Mediterranean Sea next July. Come on the Judd's Hill Wine Cruise. All the information is at Judshill.com. And you can join. I guarantee a good time. You know, we still are the number one thing to do on TripAdvisor is a visit to Judd's Hill Winery. And that's because we know how to show folks a good time. And I'll, I'll take that to the Mediterranean. From Barcelona to Rome, we will show you a good time. In the meantime, for the holidays, I'm going to put in a quick plug. As long as you're online at Judshill.com, checking out our events and the cruise, take a look. Click on the thing that says gifts. And we have these beautiful gift boxes and wine gift packs you can send delicious Judd's Hill wine to your family, your friends, anyone you want to show a little appreciation and make sure they have some good vino fino for the holidays. It's all there and available.
That's all I got because I want to talk to this this guest of ours. I'm I'm excited to meet him. Did you say Vino Fino? I did say Vino Fino. Okay, I just checking. I'm I'm multilingual. <laughs> I can speak several languages. Vino and Fino is one of them. Someone will tell me what language that is. Uh, Lauren, would you please introduce our guest, please? With musical talent, he's filled to the brim. And when folks ask about who's playing, amazing playing this is, we all point and say, that's him. He's an upright player and a good time purveyor. Let's welcome our pal Tim. Hello, Tim. It's Tim Eshelman. And <laughs> nice to meet you. Musician extraordinaire. Excited to meet you. We have not met before. I know you by reputation. Um, you kind of are Uh-oh. all over the Napa scene and the, <laughs> the Bay Area scene and uh, a name that keeps coming up. And, and I'm kind of new to the Napa scene, actually. I, I got here, I moved to the county three years, three and a half years ago. Yeah. I'm a little bit new to the Napa scene. A uh, few shows here and there. I remember playing like Paradise Ridge ages ago and a few other things. Yeah, but, uh, but 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 new to the okay. I'm surprised that you're that new to the county because your your name has been around. I've I've, I've heard about you for quite some time, and uh, you've certainly made a splash around. So well, it's all good. <laughs> I wouldn't have invited you on. Okay, if, okay, you know, I have some standards here. You always uh, you always assume you hope you know you hope that that's the way it is, but you never know until. Uh, what people are saying. Okay, well, Tim Eshelman, if folks want to play along at home, by the way, while we're talking, they can go to timeshelman.com and take a look and see what you're up to and see some photos. Uh, and that's Tim, T-I-M. And then Eshelman, just, it's a little tricky because it's not pronounced exactly as it's spelled. And I, I want to make sure it's E-S-C-H-L-I-M-A-N. That's correct. Timeshelman.com. And you are involved in quite a few different bands we can talk about them all, but I'm, I'm curious about, you know, what is your background since you are new to the county? Wh- where do you come from? How'd you get into music? Is this something you've had throughout your life? Is your family musical? Let's, let's, Hi, let's get a little background. I'm from the, actually from a little college town in the Midwest. Oh yeah. Uh, Yellow Springs, Ohio, where Antioch college is. Oh, and, okay. and it's a really small town, but it's, but that college has been around since the 1800s. And it, it was the first major school that didn't have an affiliation with the church. So it was, for you know, the first place you could actually go for an independent education that wasn't biased by church mm. uh, curriculum and stuff. And uh, they always struggled financially, but they had Horace Mann was a big figure there early on. There's the big uh, monument to him on campus and stuff. And this thing impacted like everybody in the community because the monument says. Be shame to die until you've done some good for humanity. Or so, I'm paraphrasing, but it's something like that. Yeah. So it's kind of this, <laughs> this heavy, heavy, uh, heavy proclamation that un- kind of is the undercurrent for the town. But really fascinating town because it's kind of like a tiny Berkeley in, in the Midwest. There's a lot of it's a small campus with an unusual work study program. So it's like a five year thing. So you'd come as a freshman and do one quarter, and the next quarter you'd be study or working for a quarter and then you come back to studying so there's this constant coming and going uh, so it's, it was radical on a couple levels but what was really the most interesting was the people that came through there you had john lithgow was running oh. around there as a kid his dad arthur lithgow would had the first outdoor shakespeare festival ever in the country is that right i think it was in the 50s or something and people there was such a big deal that people were coming from from hundreds of miles around to see it because they'd never Never seen anything like that. So John Lithgow, you know, no wonder he's such a great actor. He had that background, you know, just running around watching Shakespeare all the time. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, and it came through in Buckaroo Banzai with the insane scientists. Rod Serling was going to school there. In fact, my Is dad right? claims he used to throw the football with Rod Serling on campus a few times. <laughs> wow. Like they knew each other. And and that got me kind of, you know, I, don't know, I, I didn't know uh, the, the whole story behind the, the school until later on. I started looking into it because of that and found out a lot of interesting things. My favorite rock and roll story for that town is Ray Benson's a freshman at, at Antioch. And so he's like, uh, he's on campus and he, there were no fraternities there, but he was living in a big kind of Victorian house that was part of the student housing. Yeah. Commander Cody and his lost player came to town to play and uh, Ed Ward, a famous uh, rock and roll uh, music writer, who was also on campus at the time, knew that those guys couldn't afford the only hotel in town, which is sort of catering to students' parents. Okay. So it was really expensive. So <laughs> they went to uh, Ray. Ray had a lot of room in his, in his dorm house. And they said, hey, Ray, these guys can't afford the hotel. Can you put some of them up? And he goes, oh, yeah, sure, no problem. So they all came over after the show and partied forever. <laughs> Ray at the time had been agonizing over what am I going to do for my work first uh, work quarter I haven't figured it because that's a weird thing you go off to college thinking you're going to learn stuff and, the, and immediately tell you you got to go work for three months <laughs> so he's trying to figure out what am I going to do for my first work quarter and then after staying up all night with the commander I know I'm going to start a band that'll be perfect so <laughs> so I was the high school student at the time and yeah. then if a couple of mu- uh, a little while later I think maybe about a year or a year and a half later there was, uh, I think he had dropped out, and uh, there were signs around campus that said, I was working over at the dining halls at the time, signs around campus that said, Sleep at the Wheel, Friday, you know, in the cafeteria. So I went to that show, and there's a Sleep at the Wheel, like they're very, very meager beginnings. Chris O'Connell was in the band, and she's practically hiding behind her mic stand. She's mm. very shy. And there was no stage. They were just over there on the linoleum, you know, next to the <laughs> next to the wall. Playing. I've played those gigs. Yeah. Yeah, we all did. It. And and years later, they became you know much more well known and more Grammy winning and all oh, this. Oh yeah, they're the big. Cody band, but there's this great handing of a torch kind of that happened, and and that another little story. Um, there was a guy teaching a Gary uh, Reverend Reverend Gary Davis style of uh, blues guitar playing there on campus, and. Two of his students were John Hammond Jr. and Yorma Kalkinen. Oh, wow. But then later on went out to, to California and became part of the Jefferson Airplane. So yeah. That, so anyway, that's that's sort of a... <laughs> that kind of stuff would just would go on from time to time. The latest thing, this is the, end, the last part of this, that happened is that Dave Chappelle ended up there as part of his high schooling. And uh, when he started doing his shows, when he was making fun of, of the silly white people, a lot of it came from the study... <laughs> He, uh, it was you? It, no. Are you, no, the, are you the silly white person? I was, I, I was gone by then, but it was, this, it was his classrooms full of all the community. Oh, okay. The community was actually pretty diverse. There was a lot of white people. There was a lot of black people and, and, uh, and uh, Japanese, all kinds of people there. And uh, so he, part of what you know, he was capping on was, was what was going on. But he eventually started a family where they were having kids, and he was trying to think, well, where am I going to raise a family? He ended up back there. He's living there now in that town. In the same place that he's been making fun of. Yeah. Now, you mentioned uh, <laughs> Commander Cody way back when, and his, um, what was the name back then? It was his Lost, Lost Planet. Planet which is a... Yeah. Which is a uh, and big, now it's changed the Western Airmen, I believe, isn't well, it? Well, so now what, he moved back to... Uh, this, this, the band was out, based out of Ann Arbor years ago. And then they moved to California, 
and they're based out of the West Coast for a long time. Then he uh, moved to upstate New York. So when he plays back there, it's called the Commander Cody Band or something. Okay. When he comes out here, we call it Commander Cody's Western Airmen. He used to come out with this drummer and guitar player, and then they, they would use me. I was, I've been in and out of his band for years, but they were using me, and they were flying out their, their guitar player from back east, and he wasn't excited about coming all the way out here. I think he was a more conservative kind of southern rock guy, and he didn't quite get the whole California thing. So, <laughs> so I told, and also he did a funny thing to the songs. He kind of made them sound like southern rock songs instead of like the old boogie-woogie and, and, uh, and rockabilly-ish sound that the Commander Cody band had. So I told the commander, I said, George, you know, I know this guitar player from Napa that's like ridiculous, and he sounds like, he sounds more like Bill Kirchner than anybody I've I know, and both these guys have this great, clean, Telecaster, twangy sound that's really great for being able to hear uh, all the great little riffs they're doing. And is it, the sound isn't buried in effects. You can really hear how good the yeah. players they are. So it took me a while for him to warm up to the idea. I finally got Sean to come sit in a couple of times, and then he says, all right, let's try him on these couple of gigs. And now now he like, likes him the best. So. <laughs> and we're talking, of course, about local Sean Allen, right. who's an amazing guitar player right here in and Napa. And you're in a band with him, right? Th- this is true. He is our steel guitar player in uh, the Maikai Gents, our old-time Hawaiian band. So we have that in common. <laughs> now, since you bring up you and Sean Allen and playing together in Commander Cody, but the two of you play together in another band called the New Copacetics. Right. And- we started that about 15 years ago. And this band was... You know, years ago, I was doing lots of rock and roll and twangy stuff. There was a band called the Moonliners. It was an offshoot of Commander Cody. did a lot of that. Some rock pile songs, some originals that were of a similar nature. Kind of going back to that initial rock and roll thrill of like Chuck Berry and Little Richard and that kind of stuff and writing songs inspired by that. Then years, years went by and... I ended up playing in all these other bands that I really enjoyed, but they were not like that. They were like New Orleans R&B bands, blues bands, swing bands, the Christmas Chug band, all kind of different bands. And after a while, I started to miss the, uh, the, the thing that really excited me in the very first place when I started doing music, which was the rock and roll and the Beatles and all that stuff. So, so I was thinking about the songs I wished I was doing. <laughs> started creating a list. It got longer and longer started talking to Sean about it. I could tell from his playing that he was good at that stuff. So we started developing a band based on that. And uh, the other concept was having a lead singer who's a male and a lead singer who's a female. And then mm-hmm. you can have duets. You can have every kind of perspective you want in there. Well, let's give it a listen. You know, you mentioned Rock Pile. And the first time I I, I gave this a, a turn, your your new album, immediately I was thinking Niccolo, Dave Edmonds, and there, there's an influence, certainly in, in a couple of these tunes. And then as I looked a little closer, one of them actually is a Niccolo tune. Actually is, yes. Yeah, so it, it's coming through, and I certainly admire that. Is there a particular song uh, well, you'd like to... Well, let's play that one for you. You that you one? brought it up. That's, okay. Uh, Track number two? Yeah. And do I need a little uh, code on here or something? We're gonna. Oh, six, six, no, well, you don't have to say it out loud. How about that? Uh, in <laughs> case someone finds your phone, why don't you open that up for me? We'll plug it in. This is the new technology, folks. We're playing stuff off of his phone. And this will be uh, off of the new Copacetics. That is the name of the band, the new Copacetics. It just the, came out. The new album called Twang U- Twangocopia. Yeah. Did I say that right? Yes. And if I may just read from the back here how you describe uh, the new Copacetics. I like this. Ready? Okay, folks. Semi-acoustic, 
Back Porch Americana and Tropicana America Roots Twang Roots. Did I get a comma? Did I miss it? Twang Roots Rock. A taste of R&B plus a side of Cuban and Hawaiian. <laughs> and the kitchen sink. And the kitchen sink. <laughs> but uh, right now we're going to play the new Copacetics featuring our guest, Tim Eshelman, and um, our good friend, Sean Allen, on guitar. And you're playing bass on this, uh, I'm Tim? playing string bass and singing. And, uh, yeah. And uh, this is the Nick Low tune, Play That Fast Thing, one more time. Let's uh, hope this works. Something real 
Sean Allen and play that fast thing one more time right here on Judd's Napa Valley Show. Our guest is Tim Eshelman of the New Copacetics, and that was them with a track off their new album, Twang. Did I say Twangacopia? Twangucopia. Ucopia. Got to like give it that U. Yeah. Twang. Yes, to Twang Ucopia. So, Tim Eshelman, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back talk about some of your uh, other musical projects sure. and where folks can see it. Where fo- well, actually, first of all, before we go to the break, where can folks get this? CD. Okay, so that band is called the New Copacetics. Yeah. That's why I always often forget to say that. And there's a CD and a LP of that. You can get it from uh, globerecords.com, or if you go to newcopacetics.com, it points to all of that. All right. It's also available in all the digital services and stuff. And it's at the uh, last record store in Santa Rosa. We got it at Spin Records at Petaluma. We got it at Red Devil Records at Santa Rafa. We got it at Mill Valley Music in Mill Valley. Wow, you got a spread, man. And okay. Amoeba Records in San Francisco. And I'm sure at TimEshelman.com, folks well, can find out as well. I didn't put it up there, but well, I, better, I better now. <laughs> you ought to. We're going to be back in a few moments. Uh, Lauren Mole. You're listening to Judd's Napa Valley Show. We'll be right back after these messages. La, 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 la. Judd's Napa Valley Show. Every episode, a veritable cornucopia of Finkel fun. Want to hear this episode again as well as past episodes? Subscribe to our podcast. Search for Judd's Napa Valley Show in the iTunes Store. Now, back to the show. Thank you very much, Mr. Lauren Mole. And our guest is Tim Eshelman, musician extraordinaire. We just heard a track of his from his band, The New Copacetics. But yeah, that's that not was your a only. great track. I it's loved a great, it. You know, I, I'm a big fan of uh, that kind of music. Rockpile, Dave Edmonds, Nick Lowe. When Nick Lowe came by a couple of years ago with his holiday show with Low Straight Jackets, one of the greatest evenings of music I've had to my faves. Did you, did you work? Did you get a chance to work with Nick Lowe? Did I hear that? We actually did an album with him. Um, yeah. So the Commander Cody, to pick up on the Commander Cody thing, I started working yeah. with him years ago. I actually started working with the Moonlighters, which was an offshoot of Commander Cody band in the 70s that Bill Kirchin started. And he, right two months after they put out their first album, the bass player couldn't go out on tour anymore, so I got hired. I think within a year, we did a show, a couple of shows opening for Commander Cody, and he had a band at the time with Delaney Bramlett. The two of them 
each picked half the band members. Okay. But it didn't kind of work out. So he was looking for something else to do for a band. And we opened for him for two nights, and his manager is there. And he goes, why don't you just hire these guys? They know all your songs. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> it's a good way to get the gig. Because Kirchin knew all the riffs and everything. So, so we ended up doing that. And uh, eventually, uh, the Moonlighters, more for, they recently called themselves Rhythm and Western. It was like Rhythm and Blues, Western Swing, and a little Cajun thrown in all kind of mashed together. Yeah. And then a little over time, things changed, and it eventually turned into a four-piece sort of what Bill Kirchner called a skinny-tie rock and roll outfit. I like that. <laughs> Which was, so it ended, it got, ended up down to uh, Bill Kirchner and Tony Johnson, who wrote the uh, Midnight Memphis song from The Rose, the drummer, and then Austin DeLone from Exorizzi and myself. So it was just the four of us. And at that point, we did a demo of four songs, kind of a live to four track thing in uh, San Francisco at different first studios back in the early 80s. And Audie was a, was a friend of Niccolo's from this, this scene that was going on in London uh, before that. So he sent him a copy of it, and Nick sent him a letter back saying, Dear hero of mine, oh, so great to hear from you. And what is this band you have? So... Wow. He said, "Look, if you guys can come up with a with a not a huge budget, I'll I'll record you in my little studio in London." So we were like, "Oh my god!" So we found like a, yeah. a, a friend of the road manager who had uh, who was interested in backing a project. So he came up with some dough. And we went over there and we got to spend. Uh, it's kind of funny. We had it budgeted for four weeks in London, <clears throat> and uh, we did. Uh, we got there. We started recording. We realized that we were going to miss out on all the mixing that that was just enough time to do the tracks to do the basics and some overdubs and then we would have to leave and then he was nick was going to mix by himself so we well, we were used to recording our own stuff so we wanted to be part of the mixing as well so we did some fast kind of mo moving around we went and found a cheaper hotel and figured out a way to change our flights and add another week and um Nick didn't like, kind of actually like that idea because he really didn't want us there for mixing. So then he started sort of dragging out the recording process. So, oh, no. So it took five. Anyway. Uh, I can understand, funny. though. I mean, as a winemaker, I can understand you spend all this time making the wine. Then the final thing is the blend. Yeah, and or, if you're not there for the blend, right. you feel like you're really missing, you're the, missing the, the last the, the real, crucial point. Where the, where the, yeah, where the rubber meets the road. Yeah. Like in filmmaking, it would be the editing. Like the, the editor, it turns out, has more to do with the film than anybody. Right. So yeah, um, and, but it was fine, and, and it was really a treat to work with him. He was. Um, How do at, we hear some of these? Huh? How do we hear some of these tracks? There's a well, actually, it's funny. Uh, so the Moonlighters had um, had that album in the beginning, which was uh, oh, 77 It came out, I think. And this, the Moonlighters' second album, which was called Rush Hour, was the Nick Lowe produced one. I think it came out in like '82 or something. Uh, so it's available. Uh, you can't. Sometimes I see. I see copies of it on eBay for too much money, but it's available in all this, <laughs> all this streaming. We actually put it, once it kind of ran its course, I put it up. I started a, a doing some digital distribution work about 15 years ago, and, I, and we had the rights to it, so I put it up, and uh, it's available now on all the services. So you can okay, get it that okay, way. we can look for it. Let's, let's get into some of these other bands that you're involved in, because this is amazing. <laughs> and I'm sure this is only, you know, what do we call it? The tip of the iceberg. So we just talked about the new Copacetics. You've got another band called Mystery Dance, rock and twangin', mysteriously good quartet. Uh, <laughs> that's another thing with both Sean and I, and that's got our drummer in the in the new Copacetics actually is Kevin Hayes. So his his sister's Bonnie Hayes, the infamous Bonnie Hayes, Bonnie Hayes and the Wild Combo band, which was a 
sort of semi-punk band out of uh, San Francisco. They were one of the best ones at the time in, in the early 80s. In fact, back then, the Moonlighters used to open for them a lot in San Francisco, and they were too cool for us. Like, we didn't get to know them because they were the headliner. And we were over there, and they were over here. But uh, that's a few years later, I started playing some some uh, impromptu Wednesday nights with Kevin Hayes, and we developed. We've been playing together for thirty for thirty some years now. But so that's a real fun thing. And we only she moved to Boston to mm. administrate the songwriting department of Berkeley School of Music. Oh, is that all? Yeah, really. But, wow. Uh, but she comes back here like once or twice a year, so we'll try to get like one show in a year where we can actually rehearse up and where you get to play unusual and joyous originals and it's some loud, songs. It's loud you, and fast. Yeah. I just like the way you wrote that. Unusual and joyous originals and some tunes we wished we'd written. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> the that's kind of the thing about both that the new copacetics and the mystery dance is that they were inspired by. Yeah, I'm tired. Of, I, I don't like really where I ended up sometimes with some some of the things I'm doing. I wish I was doing this, and and let's let's do that song that you wrote. Yeah, let's you know. So like trying to do uh, nothing to do with like uh, a, a song list developed to to get work. Like to, oh, this will be popular. Like a friend of mine is going to start a southern rock band, and I told him, you know, my experience of hanging out in bars in California is that you would make a ton of money having a bar band that would go up and down the west coast doing southern rock because mm -hmm. everybody it's like in all the jukeboxes all the time you know but uh this was more like what do we want what do you actually want to say what do you want to play you know that was kind of the idea so and it looks like you're getting out there and doing what you want to do i'm going to mention this next band because this is it sounds unusual this sounds like somebody who's very creative doing something he wants and that's the christmas jug band <laughs> that that's a whole other animal. That thing uh, <laughs> okay. happened by accident. Uh, there was a bunch of us hanging around the Old Mill uh, Tavern, the Mill Valley scene of the 70s, early, mid-70s. We had a junk band of guys that would get together once in a while, drink wild turkey, and just make up silly songs. Yeah. And this went back to some of these... There's two buddies of mine that were living in Mill Valley. They were the reason I moved out from the Midwest, actually. And we were all from the same little town in Ohio I was mentioning earlier. So we all used to play some jug band music back in the hometown. So we were reminiscing about that. So we thought, oh man, let's get uh, let's let's get together and do that again. Yeah, let's get some wild turkey too. That was the drink. Yeah, that was great. You know. So we started doing that, and we had such a good time that we decided it was on a Monday. We decided let's do it next Monday too. And next thing we know, we'd done ten Mondays in a row of wild turkey and jug band music, trying to make things up. You know. And we discovered over the 10 weeks that the songs that we made up were, the, were more fun. When, when so, We'd invite a friend to come over after this got going for it. We'd invite a friend for the next Monday to come play with us. And if they, the natural thing they would do is they'd want to do their songs. And I'd go, no, man, let's, let's write some new ones. Like right now, come on. <laughs> so it was like, you know, it's about getting crazy and like that. But after 10 weeks, we, could, we couldn't handle it anymore. It's too much drinking. I mean, Monday's when... <laughs> Musicians are usually like doing their laundry, yeah, yeah. sobering you were, up, taking care of business. You were not. We're getting more loaded on Mondays than any other time of the week. So like, oh, this has got to stop. Can but, we play one of the results? Oh, well, we can. Uh, an eventual result. So the so to finish the story, it's kind of okay. a weird one, but if if you I if love you, weird stories. Let's finish. Well, if you lose track of me, it's at ChristmasJugBand.com. There's a there's a thing called uh, the Jugband story. But anyway, so what happened is. We weren't really doing Christmas music at all in the beginning. It had nothing to do with that. But Dan Hicks at the time was running an open mic in the bar on Mondays. 
And he was the uh, famous Dan Hicks and yeah, the hot so, licks. So one of actually one of those ten weeks that we were getting together, somebody forgot to get the wild turkey, and we're sitting around like this isn't working. <laughs> so, so let's go down to the open mic. The Dan was there down there, of course. So let's go down there and maybe if we win the competition, we'll get a round of wild turkey, and then there will be. You know, so we went down and. <laughs> They gave us a round anyway, even though we didn't win. <laughs> anyway, so we were, we, and Dan, you, Dan used to do a little bit of jug band stuff too. Like he was kind of uh, informal friends of ours. He lived right down the street from the guys that had the jug band uh, parties. And he came to one of those too. So he knew what was going on. And so what happened is this, he was, he was running his open mic. He'd get up and do a few songs solo and then he'd bring on people. And it got to be really popular. Partly because you could hear Dan playing, but also because of what he would say after other contestants would get up there and do like their little fifteen yeah. minutes. He would like, yeah, that was uh, that was Debbie and John. That was, uh, I think we could say that was precious. Okay, let's move on to the you know things like that. And so just his comments alone would be like it'd be like um, Groucho Marx doing an open mic or something. So he got really popular. It got really crowded every Monday night. So there's. Months, one Monday in December, he had to go away. He was going to be in L.A. recording. He goes, hey, he came to us. He goes, can you guys, do you think you could run my open mic while I'm gone? You know how it works. You know, just don't get too loaded and see if you can handle So it was in December, right? Yeah. So we come down there. Right at that time, the drummer, uh, Duke, from the Jug Band, had just come back from a tour of the Exo Rizzi on the East Coast with the piano player. And they're in the back of the plane getting drunk, back when you could still do that. I don't think there's really any uh, anything preventing people from getting drunk on well, a plane they, these but days. They, they cut you off, but they smoking, were, yes. They're but, back uh, there they're entertaining s- the stewardesses and everything, or whatever. <laughs> and they started writing this parody uh, called uh, "Rudolph the Bald-Headed Reindeer." So it was like Rudolph the Bald-Headed <laughs> Reindeer had a very shiny head, and if you ever saw it, you wish you saw something else instead. So that was the whole. <laughs> they wrote the whole song, and they came to, back to town, and they told us about it. And we're like, "Oh, dude, we have this." We have this open mic we got to do uh, at the bar, and it's December. Let's do that song. And then we had a Bad Weather Blues song from the Jug Band that we turned into Christmas Shopping Blues. And we added a few, you know, uh, Frosty the Snowman, this and that. And we ended up with a handful of songs, and we did them, right? So the guy who owns the bar, he goes, hey, that was great. Why don't you guys come back on Christmas Eve and do like a whole night of that? And we were all like in our 20s and 30s. Nobody had families and kids so we were going to be down there anyway we're like he offered us really good money we went sure oh, man wow. so, so we went down and played and we called it at the time we called it the three wise men plus four minus one jug band <laughs> i can't even do math that quickly and then you know like you know, what what okay fine so then so we had such a good time he goes let's book it next year let's go ahead and do it again next year we're like okay but i remember that what's funny about that night is we did we couldn't come up with three sets you know, on, on short notice like that. We didn't really do a lot of Christmas songs. So we came up with two sets, and the third set was the greatest hits with the first two sets. <laughs> anyway, so it, be, so it became a tradition. We did it every Christmas Lauren, Eve. Lauren, I need a shot of wild turkey right now just to keep that straight. No, I, you, know, you know what, Jen? I don't feel like a wild shot of turkey for me right now. For me, it's too early, Tim. A wild I shot don't of know. turkey. Well, okay. yeah. So, so if see. you want to... Yeah. Well, if you're going to hear one of these tracks, it might be a good idea. That's all I'm saying. But anyway, so anyway, so so it became a, a tradition. And then uh, and at the time, you know, at the time um, I was roommates with Audie 
we had some other friends across town that both, both, all of us had like little recording setups. We had like four tracks that were going on back then for multi-track in your house. And all of a sudden, we got a chance to move into a real recording studio behind the old Prune Music in Mill Valley when Lee Michaels had vacated it after building the whole thing. And we're like, oh, God, we moved in there. So then a third guy from the jug band joined us, and we bought an eight-track, half-inch. All right, we're in business. What are we going to record? we got to record something. And yeah. A couple of the jug band guys had already kind of moved away. So let's record that, man. Nobody's going to believe these silly songs later when we try to tell them about it. So let's record Okay, we'll do that. So we recorded this album, and we made some cassettes of it, and we thought, what are we going to call the band? Like, we kept changing our names. Well, mm-hmm. it's all Christmas stuff for this album. Why don't we call it the Christmas Jug Band? Okay, fine. So we made cassettes up, and uh, we put it in the local record store, Village Music in Mill Valley. Well, he was in touch with his distributor in San Rafael for City Hall. And Robin at City Hall found out about it, and he gave me a call one day. He goes, hey, I understand you have a a wacky holiday album with Dan Hicks on it? Yeah, this is a little bit of Dan Hicks on it. He's, he kind of does some of our gigs and stuff. Uh, oh, I'd like to get a copy. Okay, so I brought him a copy. Well, the next thing you know, we sold 450 cassettes of it. Like, this was unexpected. So we weren't, we didn't really release it officially. Yeah, it sounds like it was just word of mouth. Yeah, and so the next year we went, okay, let's actually, maybe we should put, put it out for real. So we put out a green vinyl record and a, and a more professionally done cassette and, and released it at, I think it was 86 or 87, something like that. And just, you know, one thing that led to the next and it's sort of like we backed into the, the whole thing. <laughs> Never really planned to, to have an album to start a record company to do all this stuff. And it was a hit, man. You got uh, Alternative Christmas Record of the Year. Yeah, but check where the quote's from. Well, that doesn't matter. Midwest Record Recap. (laughs) I I, I said it, so there it is. (laughs) It's it's very cool. Do you want to to play? We got some... I got some queued up. You yeah, want play to a, play a junk band cut? All right, we, I have. Also, we got shows coming up in case people like this. All uh, right, plug that after the cut. Then after the cut, yeah, right. let's let's tee it up, and then you can knock them down with the plug. And this is <laughs> this is a take on one of Lauren's. I know for a fact one of Lauren's favorite holiday songs is "White Christmas." Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's nodding his I head. Do yes. I like that song. So th- this is the Christmas Jug Band doing uh, their version. Could I say, can I set it up a little bit? Yeah, please do. So this was written in. Um, in like the, the early 80s, back three drought, three droughts ago, like way back when the first big drought, excuse me, first big drought happened. And we're trying, we're, everyone's getting nostalgic about, yeah, remember when it used to rain a lot and we didn't have to worry about this and that? And, oh, okay. And, you know, so there's a funny intro by Dan on this that's particularly poignant. But anyway, so the, the idea is a very California Christmas of wishing we had more rain. All right. Should we give the title, or do we want to? Or is that the punchline? No. The no. The title is "I'm Dreaming of a Wet Christmas." A wet Christmas. The oh, Christmas Jug Band. This is with, gonna be good. With our guest Tim Eshelman. Here we go. I sure hope. Here we go. Well, after all of that, I'm, I'm telling you, you got it on there. I've got this. <laughs> I've got this plugged into the jack like we did on your phone, and yet still, and the volume's turned up. Oh, but I see what's going on. I see. This is this is uh, me figuring out the new studio. So hold on, folks. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna tee this up one more time. This is what and happens. The new studio is how old? This is. Uh, well, <laughs> it's this a my few first... months old, Tim. <laughs> Here we go. Ready? You want to tee that one up again? This is the Christmas Chuck Band with a lead-in by Dan Hicks of "I'm Dreaming of a Wet Christmas." <laughs> it should be. 
Oh, here we go. Maybe there was six feet of snow. We're back in Marin. You know the place. A guy could get arrested for just a wash in his face. Yeah, the sky was dry and there was no water even to buy. So just behind that old drought, hey, Bean Crosby, eat your heart out. Cause I'm dreaming of a wet Christmas. Don't see too many anymore. With the treetop dripping and children slipping in the mud. Kitchen floor. I said I'm dreaming of a wet Christmas with every card that I don't get. Now I hope you don't get too upset, but may all your Christmases be wet. Smoking, cause the wood, the wood is much too wet to burn. Mm, I said, I'm dreaming of a serious amount of precipitation beyond the shadow of a doubt. Now I hope you don't get too burned out. But if it was up to me, that
was the Christmas Jug Band with Tim Eshelman. And I'm dreaming of a wet Christmas on <laughs> Judd's Napa Valley Show. <laughs> Thanks, Lauren. Yes, this is our guest, Tim Eshelman. And we are running out of time, my friend. I've so enjoyed meeting you and hearing your musical story. Nice um, to meet you, Judd. Yeah, it's been fun. But it's you great brought, to meet you as well, Tim. Yes, sir. You brought along a few things for our listeners. I did. If, uh, anybody, I yeah, go ahead. What do you got? So, so I've got this compilation we put out for the Millennium. I had, we had a, a Millennium song we wanted to get out there, but then it became a compilation of all the different things going on on the Globe Records label. So there's a Christmas Jug Band song in there about what do you do New Year's Eve. There's all kind of different bands, Joe Goldmark, Paris Slim, Solid Air, cool. Gator so Beat. A, you got a CD? You've I've got, got a CD for that to give away. I've got another, the other compilation the label did, we did a thing to bring out the Zydeco Cajun scene on the West Coast, which is like huge. Yeah. There's a guy named uh, Dale Johnson, I believe, out of Sacramento that claims it's the biggest Cajun Zydeco scene outside of New Orleans. Anyway, so yeah, yeah. we put out an album called Mar West Coast Mardi Gras Party. I've got a compilation of that to give away and okay. a vinyl copy of the new Copacetic's new records. And we heard a track from that a little earlier. So if you would like to have that be the first one to tweet, got to use Twitter, pound. Or as the kids say, hashtag these hashtag. days, JNVS for Judd's Napa Valley Show, and put uh, at Judd's Hill so I see it immediately be the first one. I will bring these musical gems back to the tasting room at Judd's Hill Winery at the south end of Silverado Trail, where they will be there for you to pick up until Friday. Because if nobody comes by Friday, I'm taking them home. I'm taking them. How about uh, if I could say that the Christmas Jug Band is playing a bunch of dates coming up, and if you want to see them, go to christmasjugband.com and all the tours there. Fantastic. Okay, good. Glad we have a chance to see them. Thank you much, Tim Eshelman. And stick around. We're going to keep recording so folks can uh, tune into the, broad, uh, the podcast when that comes out for a little extra content. Until next week, until next year, I think. Lauren Mole, it's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure for you, Judd. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. And Happy New Year! See you in 2020! This is Lauren Mole speaking for Judd's Napa Valley Show, a Gil Amar production. And now some extra podcast content. And Tim, thanks for hanging out. I really enjoyed... You bet, man. Really enjoyed talking to you, getting to know you. But there was a couple things outside of music I was a little curious about that I've heard you're into. Things that piqued my interest. One is your interest in straw bale houses. Ah, tell, yes. tell me about that. What, what's that all about? Well, I... Um I was telling you about my hometown. It's kind of wacky, and you know, a, a liberal arts college town, all that. And there's a lot of progressive ideas floating in and out of there. So when I was going to school, I actually spent a couple of years at Antioch there in that hometown, and, and I took an architecture class because I was a little interested in that. And I was kind of killing time because back then, a lot of us going to college were avoiding the Vietnam War, of course. We're trying to find really, really engaging ways of doing that by taking these classes. I didn't really plan on, on graduating from college, but I wanted to make the most of it while I was there. Mm. In fact, yeah, we were talking about Moonliners earlier. We one time were talking around how to market ourselves and realized from a com long conversation that every four of the four of us in the band were all dropouts of different colleges. <laughs> Some of the best schools, too. Anyway, but um, I digress. You dropped out from the finest schools in America. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, Yale Divinity School, Harvard. Yeah. I mean, yeah, for sure. Wow, okay, well, that's Anyway, true. so I'm taking this architecture class, and it, and we had, a, for our manual for the class, we had this fascinating book called The Owner Built Home, and he was... Ken Kern book, he was going on and on about earth bags and straw bale and uh, concrete forms using a blended concrete that's got other things in it, so it's not, you know, all kind of advanced 
things that people are really getting into now, and this is like a, a really early on thing. So I, I was fascinated by that and uh, really enjoyed that course. And I kept kind of in the back of my mind. Then years later, I discovered some friends of mine who were classmates in high school had uh, started a construction company building straw bale houses. And, and I went back to my hometown for reunion or something. I said, hey, man, I want to see one of these. I'd love to check it out. I went inside and I was just astounded. It was like one of the best. It just felt great in there. It was, uh, it was kind of in the wintertime and they had solar hot water on the roof and they had this straw bale structures have this kind of texture to the walls and it's rounded where the, where the ceiling meets the wall. It's rounded and there's sometimes they have bas relief stuff on the surface of you know they could do artwork like that. These guys had taken uh, old doors reclaimed from a from a scrapyard and they'd sandblasted the paint off and used huh. those for bedroom doors. And so everything everything in there had this tendency to to mute the sound and it was it was really nice and warm, extremely insulated, cozy, and and you'd have a conversation with somebody and it would be. Just like serene, kind of. I mean, it felt it felt like that feeling you get when you go when you stumble into a a really quaint old church somewhere, and the sun's coming through the stained glass. You just have this, mm. you know. It was like, and I just thought, man, I want to live in a place like this. So my goal actually is to, I'd love to find a lot somewhere to build a house on. I did, I did build a um, just to play around. I built a straw bale outbuilding that's about. Uh, 17 by 10 or something like that and uh, just experimenting with uh, uh, radical things here and there man that's but, fascinating when you said when I heard about straw bale houses I mean I'm sure like everybody and you're sick of hearing this I think of the three little pigs you know something the yeah. wolf's gonna blow down but obviously this is a real well you know how they structural you know how they house came about is when the bailing machine was created in the 1800s and the northern plains like Nebraska or North Dakota there, there more people were like settlers were coming in and they needed housing and there weren't any trees. But there were at the end of the summer, there'd be these gigantic rectangular solid shapes in the fields of uh, the bailing machine had come through and bailed up all the grasses or whatever. Mm -hmm. So they're like, hey, let's we got a ton of these. Nobody's buying all of them. Let's make let's stack them up. and build. So that's what that's how they came about. It's funny, you know, when there was the um, when there was the recent. Uh, well, not for that reason, but there was the the uh, Indian American Indian uh, standoff with the uh, the pipeline thing in the in the plains. Yeah, and then it came to be winter time, and everybody's worried about if they're all going to freeze to death. So they mm -hmm. they had they had a bunch of these bales around. They started making straw bale housing. Oh, is that right? With these volunteers to give them uh, warmth and stuff through their through their sitting in and stuff. So that was that, anyway. So it's a really interesting, you know, from a lot of perspectives, it gives you. Incredible insulation, but for musicians, uh, it's it's even more important because musicians have this funny thing when they go to record themselves. They have this funny, very self-centric thing where they want to make a whole lot of noise, but they can't stand anybody else's noise. So I gave me in a recording <laughs> studio. I remember years ago we were in the prairie, the early Prairie Sun in Katadi, when there was this like a, he was renting a house from some guy and he had a studio in his house. Landlord didn't know he had a studio in there, of course. So we're recording one day and. The landlord came by with a backhoe and he starts tearing up the front yard and, and, and was coming in like to our microphones. And we're like, oh man, you know, we can't have that. But we were making all these loud, you know, guitar amp, drum set type noises. So it's a funny thing, but straw bell, a straw bell recording studio, or even better, a straw bell house that has a recording studio in it, 
would be fabulous because you it takes care of that problem. You're just so insulated. You wouldn't hear the outdoors. Huh. They wouldn't hear you. You know. Well, my interest is peaked. I'm going to look into this. Yeah, and that's fascinating. Um, there's uh, and I was talking to some people about this in Sonoma and these friends that used to come see us a lot in there, who lived over on the east side. They oh we have we built one. You want to come see us sometime? Oh yeah, I'd love to. And I went. They had this amazing spread. It was like a two-story straw bale compound with living roofs and extensive California drought-tolerant landscaping. Just, just amazing, progressive, you know, modern-day, cutting-edge building. And, and I was just, like, flabbergasted. So, yeah, this is really a neat... Um, it's a great way to go. I don't know if there's many around Napa County. I know there's a couple interesting buildings like that in Sonoma County. Well, um, I'm a bit of an architecture and design buff myself oh, really? with an interest in, you know, ecological and sustainable buildings. Yeah. So this... This sounds right up my alley. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do a little research. I want to ask you also, I know you have some strong opinions, um, being a musician, you should, about <laughs> the 45 yeah, record being we the ultimate expression of music. Or I think the it's ultimate... the ultimate medium for music, okay. and I kind of wish it would come back. I know LPs are back, but the, thing, the difference is a 45 goes faster, for one thing, than an LP. LP's 33 and a third revolutions per minute and a... 45 is 45, of course. Sure. And what that means is there's more material that passes in a, in a certain time frame on a 45 than there is on, a, on especially the outside bands of a 33. So the inside bands. Uh, so the, the 45 gives you more surface area. It's kind of like, it's kind of like just be, a better quality MP3 than a, than a lower quality one. It's sort of like that. But the bigger difference is the mastering. I was telling you about this. Uh, and I first discovered this when I was a kid because I was like, you know, I was there watching the Ed Sullivan show when the Beatles came on and I couldn't couldn't believe what I just saw. I was like, I didn't know that was a thing. Like, I didn't know that was a thing you could do. Wow. Everybody was like, whoa. So immediately everybody wants to start a band. Of course. Know? And uh, so I bought, went and bought these 45s of the Beatles and they were really exciting sounding. It would just like leap out of the speaker, you know. Uh, I want to hold your hand, you know, I mean, it's a silly song now, but, but at the time it just, it just leapt out of the speaker. You couldn't believe you're hearing it. Very exciting. So I remember what, I remember seeing an album. Oh, here's an album with three of the singles I have on it and even more songs. Like this is going to be even more better, faster, wonderful. Right. So we mm -hmm. bought it. And at the time I didn't know why, but I noticed that the same songs on the album didn't sound as as exciting. They were I could tell it was the same performance. Those little nuances in the vocal style or whatever. So you're talking about it's it is the same recording. It's the same it's the same recording session. Yeah. But it's it's the format it's delivered on. It's the on. same mix, but it, but it's it, it just for some reason didn't have that excitement. And it wasn't until years later when I had my own little record label and I actually witnessed the mastering process and witnessed we had our own studio we were rec doing recording ourselves we went through it step by step every part of it and i realized what it was and the big difference is in really in the mat the final step the mastering process which is a very mysterious thing most people don't know about it but the mastering guy when he's doing a 45 especially back then in the 50s and 60s the job of of making a 45 is to make is to get a hit you're trying to get a hit song that was the whole point of a 45 it's one song on one side one song on the other but the one the a side that is like we're shooting for this this is going to be we're putting everything behind this this is going to be a hit we hope you know so the mastering guy knows that he's trying to make it exciting he's pressing it he's mastering it as hot as possible 
Uh, to what get, does that mean? Just everything up front? It's loud as, as much, as much uh, volume as, it, as you can get in there to the point where it starts to saturate the vinyl. It saturates the, the, you, the, the multi-track tape, too. If you're using re, uh, analog tape as a final mix down, uh, in the beginning, it was just, they were just recording straight to vinyl, but later on, they had tape in between it. So you're saturating that. You're sat, you're, you, you can play around with that. You can go too far, and you hear too much grainy distortion. So you back off a little bit. But if you back off too much, it sounds, it sounds sort of every day. There's somewhere in between where there's this hotness. We once discovered this by... We had a demo we had done of a bunch of songs that was on a cassette, and a friend of ours that was at KTIM, the old standard fell radio station, <laughs> said, oh, I'll play it on the air for you. So we recorded, and back then someone had, rec- had recorded the show on his cassette player that was hooked up to his, his uh, FM tuner in his house. And we listened to that show, and our song sounds so much better. I think they've been on the FM broadcast, and they've been com- compressed and limited, and it's kind of, you know, this, it was the same basic idea where you'd, you'd push the limits of you know, getting it as hot sounding as you could without distortion. So this, so this, this, some, some records you hear, like things like Huey Piano Smith doing uh, Rock and Ammonia and Boogie Woogie Flew, if you listen to that or the old Little Richard, like uh, Rip It Up, like Little Richard, those songs sound really hot. And the Beatles' early 45s, very hot sounding, yeah. just leaping out of the speakers. And so what happens when it comes to the mastering guy, he's really just focused on that. He's trying to get a really good print. He's trying to get it hot. But when it comes to the album... You have a whole different... His job changes completely. Now he's not... He's trying to make it exciting, but he's actually trying to make it sound consistent. He doesn't want somebody hearing a record that he mastered that changes levels a lot and has too much bass on one song, but too much treble on Mm -hmm. another. So he's evening everything out, trying to make it sound like... Even though he might... These might be songs from completely different recording sessions or even different studios. He's trying to make it sound real consistent and even. So his job changes... And if you think about it, when, you, when it came to mastering CDs, which is even more of a long program, it becomes even more of a consistency issue. And so the CDs ended up sort of being like background music. Yeah, I don't know if you remember, you could put them on. When you first were buying CDs, you'd put them on, and someone would come to the door, or the phone would ring. You'd turn them down. Next thing you know, they're just like background music for, for life. But anyway, at the 45, which followed the 78, 78 was the first one, and it was great, you know. In its time, it was trailblazing. In fact, it was amazing when the '78s really got popular in the '20s, because all of a sudden you're hearing the rest of the world for the first time, instead of people that could only just come to your town. So the '45s improved on that, and in the '50s, and to me, it's like the ultimate, the ultimate uh, medium for music. Well, it's really interesting to hear your perspective. It's, it gives me a whole new appreciation for '45s, and I still have my several stacks of uh, collecting them from when I was younger. <laughs> and how's your turntable? It, yeah, probably not the best these <laughs> days. But you DJ and you uh, you trot out your 45s and you will... Uh, I do once in a while. I don't do it very often. I like no? to do it because... I wouldn't want to do it frequently because it's a lot of work. It's a lot of stuff to, to haul around. But I love doing it once in a while. I've done it for parties for people. I've done it at wineries sometimes. But... Chateau St. Jean, I did a, a few uh, in the summer a couple of years ago. It was really fun. A friend of mine was, was running events over there. But for me, it's like my research library. So I'll be playing records. Someone will come, hey, you know, you got some James Brown or, you know, you got some Ray Charles or whatever. 
and I got like 50 different James Brown 45s. <laughs> but I'd, I'll be flipping through there while songs are playing, look, look, trying to figure out what to play next, and I'll go, oh, man, oh, yeah, I'll play that. And then it's funny what's on the B side of things. You know, like that trips, trips me out. I'll see a big hit, but I've heard it enough times, and I look on the back and I go, oh, that sounds interesting. So, it's like, you know, for me, it's like, it's like my... It's like browsing through a record store. It's a pathway to discovery. Yeah. Now, really interesting. And if I guess anybody wants to continue the conversation, they could find you, you know, or, or hire you for a gig. What's your contact info? Well, I would just send them to timeshelman.com. Okay. That works good. Or it, that's hard to spell, but it's T I M E S C H L I M A N.com. Or you could try, you know, newcopacetics.com. That's Christmas hard to spell band. too, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any of those. All right, I got to ask you something that is certainly on my mind, and I'm sure many of our listeners, and I hope that you will uh, take this question in the spirit that it's meant <laughs> and hopefully answer honestly. And But if it's too personal, you don't have to. Okay. We can cut this out. We're not live right now. This is podcast territory. <laughs> Editable. But, okay. But, but I hope you will answer. And, and I've only just met you, Tim, and I'm very happy to have met you. I've enjoyed <laughs> our conversation, so I hope this doesn't, you know make things go south or anything, but I do want to know, as does our listening audience. I assume there's a listening audience. Do you do go nuts for donuts? Do I do donuts for donuts? Do go nuts for donuts. Go nut you know, I used to. Oh. There well, used to be maybe a- I should put this away. Should I put this? Well, pink oh, pot? I still like them. Uh, uh, okay. There was a shop in, in my hometown that would open at midnight when they were actually making the glazed donut. Oh, yeah? It was so good. All right. Okay. Well, I'm going to pull this out anyway. So it sounds like you're they're in your wheelhouse, maybe slightly ambivalent, but I'm going to open this Get up. Any whole grain ones? <laughs> and if you care to have one, I won't. I won't turn Get this into a whole. Any organic agave? Uh, uh, I don't know. That's what we got right there today. Oh, any nice. of those speaking to you right now? Ooh, how about that maple? I always had a uh, soft spot. If for Lauren were, Lauren had to go get to get to his real oh. job, but he would go nuts. The maple old fashioned. It's that either you, maple or chocolate. No, it's the maple old fashioned you got there, and that is by far the most popular donut chosen here on Judd's Napa Valley Show, really? well into the 90th percentile. And I'm surprised I, you have donuts. This is awesome. You're in good company, so I'm glad to see you eating it too. <laughs> Enjoy that. If you were to title. A song for your next album while looking at that. Uh, what, what comes to you? Just a song. Title a song for a new album looking at that donut? Yeah, yeah. What, what inspiration are you gaining right now? Um, I'm thinking Rings of Glaze. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Look for it on the next Tim Eshelman album. And now it's time to play everyone's favorite party game here on ah. Judd's Napa Valley Show. Lauren? Lauren's not here. But you know what it is. It's time for our Mad Lib-style fill-in-the-blank word game. Are you ready to play this? Exactly, with the little fanfare. Let's start off. Okay, so you know how this works. I'm going to you know, ask you for some parts of speech, some grammar, as it were. And um, we're going to fill in the blanks. And the right. first thing I'm going to need is a uh, geographic location of some sort. It could be real. It could be fake. It could be bizarre, whatever. The Unknown Museum. The Unknown Museum. That's, uh, that's in Marin, yeah? That was in Mill Valley. Is there any particular part of that museum that you really dig? The Electronic Fireplace. I'm going to add that. Okay, the Electronic Fireplace? In the Unknown Museum. Okay. <laughs> Got it. How about a decade of any sort? Ah, the 1920s. 
the 19th. It's going to be in everybody's mind very soon. That's true, because it'll be 100 years out. Okay, an adjective, a descriptor of some sort, some uh, word that, you know, How describes. about dopey? Oh, okay. <laughs> dopey and another adjective. Uh, scary. Scary. Got it. Okay, and now how about a noun, a singular thing of some sort? A strand of bubble lights. A how strand of bubble lights, like you'd put on a tree? Right. That, okay. It is. I just put the... some on mine last night. Oh, okay, good. Strand of bubble lights. Another noun. Uh, a clown clone. <laughs> a clown? A clown? <laughs> I don't know where this is going, but I can't wait to see. A clown clone. Okay. Uh, an adjective, another descriptor. Um, unfortunate. Unfortunate. What comes to mind. Okay. And how about another noun? We're getting there. We're getting there. We're almost done. Now I'm thinking about a dozen donuts. Oh, a, oh okay. Dozen donuts. I wonder why I'm thinking of that. Yeah, really? You got that maple (laughs) sitting in front of you. Okay, we're in the home stretch here. An adjective. We're going to go rapid fire. First thing that comes to your mind. Turquoise. Ooh, that was quick. Turquoise. Plural noun. Ooh, plural noun. Yeah. Oh. Um... The, the the great small car... All the... The the small cars of Italy. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the, <laughs> the small cars of Italy. I did. I was over there in Italy one time for eleven yeah. days with the commander, and I was noticing all these really cute little, yeah, tiny cars. They had the one looked like an angelfish. It had like yellow and gray and silver all over it. Like, yeah. and so I just started taking pictures of them. And I came home with a photojournalism essay on the the little cars of Italy. Well, I can't wait. I'm heading there next <laughs> summer, and I hope folks will come with me on the Judd's Hill Wine Cruise. All the information at Judshill.com. Oh, I better go to that. Please come along. Okay, last two. An adjective? Sleepy. Sleepy. And how about another adjective? Uh, purple? Purple. Okay. All right, Tim, earlier today, I was online, and uh, just kind of seeing what I was getting into with you, having never met you, kind of seeing what's up. Oh. And I ran across a write-up Uh-oh. of your new album, Twang Eucopia by the New Copacetics, ah. uh, as written on uh, bohemian.com. Oh, yeah. You just rewrote the write-up via this Mad Libs game. Uh, oh, nice. <laughs> nice one. Are you ready to hear this? <laughs> yeah, okay. All right, here we go. <clears throat> I might have to. I'm going to quote you on this. I'm going to quote me on this. You know what? I'll give this to you afterwards. You you can quote as much as you want. Here we go. North Bay rock and roll band New Copacetics believes in serving a healthy dose of Americana, soul, and roots music in a melting pot of sound that can be found on the group's debut LP, Twang Eucopia Balanced Diet. Available now on CD and vinyl. Okay. Sound all right to you? That's good. Okay. Here we go. Now, a quote from you yourself, Tim Eshelman, <laughs> about this and you. Here we go. I came out of the Midwest to go to the electronic fireplace room at the Unknown Museum. I knew I'd like the music environment out there, <laughs> Eshelman says. The electronic fireplace room at the Unknown Museum in the late 1920s and early 1930s was the most dopey, scary music scene. <laughs> You've been out a while more than I thought you were, man. 
<laughs> All right. Now, the four-piece outfit specializes in a uh, strand of bubble lights, clown clone harmonies, <laughs> sung, <laughs> sung over unfortunate donut rhythms. <laughs> And here's your quote again. Every time we've done a show, it occurs to me it's not a turquoise genre of music we're doing, Eshelman says. There's such a variety of the small cars of Italy. <laughs> and after playing, I feel sleepy. <laughs> That's kind of true. Oh, no. Well, an hour later. An hour, okay. We've covered a lot of ground, and I feel purple for it. (laughs) (laughs) That is that, as they say in Tim Eshelman. It really has been a pleasure uh, meeting you and chatting with you. There it is. Uh, thanks for coming in, and I'm looking forward to hearing well, more from Joe. you. Thanks, Joe. Nice to meet you, and I'm, I'm glad to connect. And we're, we both have the commonality of playing in bands with a steel guitar of Sean Allen. That's right. Here, here. Cheers to Sean Allen. Here's to Sean. John, if you're listening... Why aren't you teaching somebody? Why do you know? Have nothing better to do? No, just kidding. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Tim. We will uh, we'll hear from you soon. All right. That's Napa Valley Show.